strict requirements if we are going to be part of the king or part of the kingdom with which Jesus the king is setting up. And he says, if your righteousness does not exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So it's important for us now to understand what is the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees and how do I get a righteousness that exceeds that? Now remember I said verse 19 was important. Jesus says, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Now look at the pattern that Jesus begins to use right after that. Look at verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, okay, look at verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, look at verse 31. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, are you noticing a pattern? He says this three more times. Again, here in verse 33, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, He does this two more times with retaliation and with loving our enemies. So if we look back to verse 19 and we see that Jesus is saying, if anyone relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, you're not getting into my kingdom. And now what's he doing? He's exposing areas where the scribes and Pharisees have relaxed aspects of the law. That's exactly what he's doing. He's saying, as a matter of fact, you look at the scribes and the Pharisees, and I'll show you how they have relaxed the law. And remember, he said, those who relax the law don't get in. But then he says that your righteousness must exceed the scribes and the Pharisees. How does that work? I want us to think about righteousness as we begin looking at oaths and what Jesus has to say about oaths. Be thinking in the back of your mind, righteousness is essential to being in the kingdom of heaven, to being part of Jesus' kingdom. So Jesus begins in verse 33, he says, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. So I pointed out that there's a pattern Jesus uses the same formula you have heard, but I say six times, right back to back to back to back to back. And it seems as if he's not necessarily critiquing the law. He's critiquing how the law has been interpreted and then taught. Right here in verse 33, he does not directly quote the Old Testament. It's an allusion to the Old Testament, or uh, and he's referencing the Old Testament, okay? He says, again, you have heard that it was said, So it's been taught in the synagogues, it's been taught by the rabbis, by those who are in position of authority, by those who are teachers of the law. This is how they have interpreted the law. You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. I don't know about you, but that sounds okay to me. He says, you have heard... You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. 
Doesn't that sound like, yeah, that's right, Jesus, that's what we've heard, and that is good. That is true. But then he says, but I say to you, so clearly, even though it sounds right, and it sounds as if it's been taught faithfully, it hasn't. He says, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your own head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. So Jesus is saying, you have heard that it was always taught this, but I say to you this. Now, in all of these six areas, anger, lust, divorce, oaths, retaliation, and loving your enemies, Jesus is saying, you've heard that it was taught, but now I'm teaching you this. Jesus is exposing where the scribes and the Pharisees have relaxed the law of God. And isn't it our natural inclination to relax the rules? I work at Humana, And every Wednesday in my building is, they've dubbed it Workout Wednesday. And initially, it was this idea of Humana's wanting to promote their uh, employees to be healthy, which everybody's on board with. And so they said that on Wednesdays, you could wear workout clothing to work, hopefully as a way to encourage you to make time to go to the gym, be a little more active, you know, use some time during your day to, to encourage a healthy lifestyle. Well, that was about a year or so ago when they first started that that policy. Now, if you were to come to work with me this Wednesday, you're going to see people in pajama pants. That is not workout gear. But what you see is that we take this rule and we start to, over time, relax it. I'm sure if it was the very first Wednesday that this was incorporated, everybody's wearing workout gear, you know, athletic pants, athletic shirts, whatever, something that they actually would wear to the gym. But as it hasn't really been policed, it's kind of been taken advantage of. We start to lower the standards. And we do this in a lot of ways. You show up to a first day at a new job, you're going to be squared away. You're going to have all your ducks in a row. You're going to make sure you're on time. You're going to make sure you've got all the things that you need to perform your job. You're going to make sure you're punching the clock at the right time and you're punching out at the right time. But usually, after we've been at a job for perhaps 5, 10, 15 years, you know, we start to roll in late. We start to maybe cut a few corners here and there. It's just our natural tendency to relax the laws, to relax the rules, to try and not to be so hard on ourselves. See, this is what the scribes and Pharisees were doing with worship to God, relaxing the laws. Or perhaps trying to find a way to not really obey the law, to kind of get around the law, but to make themselves feel as if they were still keeping the law. So what, what was happening with oaths? Well, it's helpful if we, if we look just briefly at the Old Testament to see uh, what the law says about oaths. You don't have to turn there, but I'll read it. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 12, teaches that you shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Clearly, 
That seems to be what Jesus is referencing. You shall not swear falsely by God's name. In Numbers chapter 30, verse 2, it says, If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. So again, we're seeing this, this same idea of if you vow something before the Lord, if you make an oath, carry through. Do what you say you're going to do. Deuteronomy chapter 23 Verses 21 through 23 says, If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay in fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what has passed your lips. For you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God which you have promised with your mouth. So the Old Testament clearly teaches that if we're going to make a vow, we should be people who don't swear falsely, we don't make vows that we know we're not going to follow through on, and it's actually a serious matter if we don't follow through on the vows that we have made. Now you and I are probably not as acquainted with vows or oaths. When I say the word oath, the first thing we probably think of is a courtroom a uh, person who's being put on the stand would, would swear by an oath. I um, agree to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. That's, that's an oath. Or perhaps maybe when I say the word vow, you think of a wedding. Think of wedding vows. This is a commitment that we're making to one another before God that we're going to stay together for better or for worse, for rich or for poorer, in sickness and in health, we're making a vow before God to keep the commitment. And the Old Testament and the law is teaching that that's a serious thing. If you make a commitment before God in an oath or a vow, you had better keep it. Don't swear falsely. Don't be a person who breaks their oath or does not keep their oath. So how have the scribes and the Pharisees been relaxing the law of oath-keeping? Well, Jesus, thankfully, gives us a a really good insight. Turn with me to Matthew 23, a couple chapters over. And this is a harsh chapter in Matthew's gospel. Jesus is pronouncing woes against the scribes and the Pharisees. Look with me at verse 16 and following of Matthew chapter 23. This is Jesus talking, and he says, Woe to you, blind guides! Who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift... Or the altar that makes the gift sacred. So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. You see, Jesus is exposing that what the scribes and Pharisees have done is they have created this whole system in which you can make a vow and based on you know, what you are calling into your vow, perhaps either the temple or the gold in the temple, 
depending on what you vow to determines whether or not you need to keep the vow or not. So if you made a vow by the gold in the temple, oh, you had better keep that vow. But if your vow is just by the temple, no biggie. See, what they had done, they had created this system by which they knew, ah, I know, I don't really want to do this, so what I'll do is I'll take a vow, and I'll just take a vow by the temple. And that's not really a big deal. I know that I don't have to follow through on that vow. I can break that vow, and it's not that big of a deal. See, what the scribes and Pharisees are doing is they're trying to create loopholes around actually obeying what the law taught. And they're teaching others to do this. This is why Jesus says in verse 33 that you have heard that it was said, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. That's what the law teaches, and that's what you've heard taught, but you've also heard taught that there are ways around it. And that is what Jesus is condemning. You see, what the scribes and Pharisees were doing, they were creating this entire system through which they could break the law via these loopholes, but yet still feel in their heart that they were being obedient to God being obedient to the law. And that's what our hearts do too. All of our hearts are marred by sin and we are inclined to be just like the scribes and the Pharisees. We are inclined to try and create a system in which we can basically disobey God without feeling the guilt of disobeying God and convincing ourselves that what we've actually done is worshiped God. We've obeyed God. We have met God's standard. And really, when you look at this in all of these things that Jesus confronts by saying, you have heard, but I say, Jesus is exposing that what the scribes and Pharisees were really doing is creating a righteousness of their own. Remember how I said that righteousness is a, is a big, important word when we think about the whole Sermon on the Mount? Because Jesus teaches that if you don't have a certain type of righteousness, you will not be in the kingdom. All of us here tonight, I would say, our hope is that we will be in the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, where Jesus is king and reigns for all of eternity. But Jesus is teaching there's a certain righteousness that if you don't have it, you're not in. And that righteousness has to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. You see, the scribes and Pharisees were very righteous people, just the wrong kind of righteous. They were self-righteous. They had created an entire system with which they had made themselves feel righteous. They'd made themselves feel right before God when all the while they were disobeying God. And our temptation is to do the same. You've met people that go to church, that look on the outside like they're righteous people. But when you get to know the heart, or perhaps some things that were in the darkness come to light, you see that all the while, they were just trying to create a righteousness in and of themselves. 
You see, Jesus is not teaching that we have to have more self-righteousness than the scribes and the Pharisees. Actually, what he's teaching is we have to have a different righteousness altogether. Not one that comes from ourselves, but one that comes from our king. See, Jesus is exposing how the scribes and Pharisees have lowered the standard. They've relaxed the commandments that God has taught. And Jesus says, those who do those things will not be in the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus says, I say to you, don't take an oath at all. Either by heaven, because it's the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your own head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Now, I don't think Jesus is giving a sweeping statement saying you can never take oaths. And our call to worship, God said, I am keeping the oath that I swore to your fathers. God himself makes oaths. And the the book of Hebrews teaches us that when you make an oath, you swear it by someone who is greater than you. But God couldn't do that. So he swore it by himself because he is the greatest that there is. So God makes oaths, and Jesus is not teaching us that an oath is bad and that when we are called into the courtroom, we should refuse to take an oath. That's not at all what he's teaching. Jesus is teaching that you and I do not need oaths to be known as honest people. You and I, as followers of Jesus, as participants in the kingdom of heaven, do not need to swear oaths in order for for someone to trust us for our word to be taken as truth. He says, you don't need to swear by heaven, you don't need to swear by the earth, you don't need to swear by Jerusalem. And what he's saying in all these things is, God owns those things. All of those things belong to God, even your life. He says, don't even swear by your own head because you are not able to make one of your hairs white or black says we have no authority over any of the things that we're calling into our oath to fulfill our oath or not. They all belong to God. God is Lord over all of those things. God knows when you're keeping your word and when you're not. That's the point Jesus is making. People should not need us to swear an oath to know that they can take our word. As truth. See, Jesus is teaching that those who are part of his kingdom are people who are honest, people who have integrity, people who have righteousness not of their own, but righteousness of the king. Jesus ends in verse 37 by saying, Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Anything more than simply being a person of our word comes from evil. That's what Jesus teaches. The Proverbs say a lot. Proverbs chapter 12 verse 22 says that lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. But those who act faithfully are his delight. See, God loves honesty. God loves integrity because that's who he is. God cannot lie. 
And so those who belong in his kingdom are those who, just like their king, are honest. They will do what they have said they will do, whether it's in the form of an oath or not. Their word is trustworthy. Their word is reliable. And if we are going to be part of his kingdom, that honesty has got to mark our lives. So as we think about honesty and as we think about integrity, how does that relate to our everyday life? Well, like I said, we we need to be people who keep our word. I'm not going to ask for you to raise hands, but we all know people who love to make promises. They love to tell us, yeah, I can do this, I can do that, I'll make sure this happens, and they rarely follow through. Those types of people hurt us oftentimes. They make us believe in their promises. They make us believe that they can do great things and really be helpful to us, and then they let us down. Christians are not to be that way. Christians are to be people that when we make a commitment, when we say we will do something, we carry through on doing it. If we make a promise, we need to be people who keep that promise. But also... And perhaps this is even a bigger issue, is that we're honest in that our lifestyle aligns with what we say. Not only do we talk the talk, but we walk the walk. In church, we know this as hypocrisy. People who say one thing, but they act in a different way that doesn't agree with what they say. See, honesty goes with not only what we say, but also what we do. If we're going to be people of integrity, if we're going to be people of honesty, then the way that we live out our life should be reflected by what we say we believe. If we say we believe that Jesus is king, that he is Lord, that we will live for all of eternity with him, then the way that we live should absolutely reflect what we say. If all things belong to him, why are we not generous people? If he really is the only hope for anyone to have eternal life, why do we not talk about him? Why do we not share what we know about him with others? See, honesty includes more than just our words. Honesty includes our actions. Do we say one thing and live as if that's not true? Or does our lifestyle Supporting what we say, supporting what we sing, supporting what we preach. Are we living in obedience to the king? See, Jesus taught at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, there is a required righteousness to be in his kingdom. And now I have, you know, examined my own heart, and and I hope that you have as well as we've read about oaths, And I have to admit that I have failed. There have been numerous times, more than I can count, in which I have failed to keep my word. And that's true for all of us. See, those people don't belong in the kingdom of heaven. But thankfully, Mary was given a promise. And the angel said, you will call his name Jesus. 
for he will save his people from their sin. See, here's the beauty of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says the requirement is unattainable. You have got to have a righteousness that exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees. Bad news. We can't do it. But our king can. And he did. See, the righteousness that we need is the righteousness of Jesus himself. And what he does when he lives his perfect life, when he lives his life which is obedient to all of the law, which does not do away with any of it, which does not minimize any of it, but actually fulfills it, and then he goes to the cross and he dies and three days later is raised up from the dead, what he does is he gives that perfect righteousness then to us who believe in him. And so for all the reasons why we can look at our own hearts and say, I don't belong in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, no, you have my righteousness. Look at the end of chapter 5, verse 48. Jesus says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's the standard to be in the kingdom of heaven is perfection. Only Jesus has it. And by faith in him, he gives it to us. God, we thank you for your perfection in Jesus. We thank you that he, as a a perfect and good king, came and lived among us and taught us that there was a steep requirement to be in the kingdom of heaven and not a single human being to ever live meets the requirement. But you've also taught us that the king of this kingdom is gracious and loving and merciful. And he is a substitute who lays down his life for all of his imperfect people who have failed in every way imaginable. And that by faith in him, we attain his perfect righteousness and are welcomed into his kingdom. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he teaches us to be a man or a woman of our word, to live upright, to live in honesty, to the glory of God. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.